In Mark chapter 11, as you're turning there, in about verse 15, Jesus goes into the temple. And as he goes into the temple, he looks at the people of God. He looks at the house of God, and he sees that the house of God is in disarray. He finds that the house of God has put their priorities in everything but the things of God. And as David said a few hundred years ago, zeal for your house has consumed me. The things of God have torn my insides out. I have to see God glorified in the earth. Jesus is overcome by this zealous spirit. He had to see his father glorified. His zeal consumed him in the hour. He walks into the people of God, to the house of God, and he begins to turn the tables. Their pattern of worship had gotten so detached from what God had told them that it not only frustrated Jesus, it's not like he said, oh, God, help them. God, help them. You know, God, help them. Oh, Lord, you know, they're having a bad day. They got a few, oh, God, help them. He didn't do that. He fashioned a bullwhip. He went into the house of prayer. Maybe he would come into our house. Maybe he'd come into our house of God. He went into the the temple. Maybe he'd come into our homes. Maybe he'd come into our private time. Would he fashion a bullwhip and come? And he comes into the things that we call worship and the things that we call church. And he begins to turn the tables in great vigor and great, great disgust. He begins to turn over the very things that they thought they were doing so well. I've never wanted God to turn the tables on our church. I always want to be two steps ahead of him and turning the tables first. I always want to be ahead of him. You know, this last week I was thinking about church and I was like, God, there's so many tables that need to be turned in our church right now. I mean, I I don't mean to offend. I don't want to offend. I don't want to be offensive, you know. But I just feel like sometimes, you know, I have other people running my church. The church God gave me to steward. I'm responsible for I carry with me in my heart everywhere I go. I carry this church in my heart. It's, it's, it burns in me. I, I desire to see people in this church succeed. I desire to see souls saved. I desire, but I feel like sometimes, I feel like people without vision try to run ahead of me and push me faster and push me this way and push me that way. And I, I'm telling you, I, I just don't, I can't do it anymore. Something I learned from pastoring for 12 years, you don't just do what everybody else says do. And just because the guy next door is doing 10 times as much work, but it's getting nowhere, doesn't mean I should join him in spinning his wheels. But I've learned that you can have 10 times the fruit by twice as much time waiting. Twice, I'm telling you, you can get 10 times the fruit by sitting with the Lord sometimes. Everyone's like, oh, are we going to do evangelism? Only 10 people came. Okay, calm down. Calm down. The Lord knows. The Lord knows. I like working, but I like working at the right things. And I feel like in our own church sometimes, I just feel like there's so many voices, so many voices. Stop listening to so many voices. Stop listening. I'm telling you, if you're in this church, number one, you listen to the, to the word of God. The word of God, number one, every choice, every decision, word of God. Number two, you have to listen to the Holy Spirit, the witness of the Holy Spirit. And number three, and please don't yell at me, but you got to listen to your pastors. Don't listen to your next door neighbor about what he thinks about whatever. How about this? Don't listen to people that want to be pastors. Because I'm telling you, there's so many people that want to do what I do, but don't want to do what I do. What I mean is they want the glory that they think is there that isn't. And then they don't want the work that they think is not there, but is. Amen. 
And so they have this great way of pulling people aside and saying, oh, don't listen to that. Oh, don't listen to that. You know how I do it is. And if I was a pastor, I'd do this. You know, what we really do in my town is this, and what we do in my family is this, and how we do it, and all this stuff. You know what? Where does God put, has God put you in this church? Then listen to the word of God. Listen to the witness of the Holy Spirit. And listen to your pastors. I'm responsible for your souls. That's what the word of God says, Hebrews 13. I'm responsible for your souls. That means I'm gonna be accountable before God of what I taught you and what I did and how I led you and, and where I didn't lead you and where I should have led you and where I should have said something, but I didn't say something. I'm gonna be judged for those things, harshly. Everyone wants to be a leader until judgment day. Then everyone's like, well, I, I didn't really, I wasn't like a pastor. I, I, I was, you know, I, I, Come on, it takes something to say yes to the call of God and say, yes, Lord, I'll be responsible for other people. But this is what Jesus did. He comes into the, he actually comes into his own place and he's like, he, he comes with all authority and he turns the tables and he puts things back in place. He says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. You've gone the wrong way. You've done the wrong thing. Let's come back to the right thing. Let's come back to the right, let's come back to purity. Let's come back to the holiness. Let's come back to the move of the Holy Spirit. Let's come back to prayer. Let's come back to desire. Let's come back to wanting God and God alone. Let's come back to walking in the temple with reverence instead of jokes. Let's come back to sitting and wanting to touch God instead of wanting everyone to bless us. Let's come back to worshiping him because he's worthy not because I'm excited let's come back to praying because I have to pray unless I die let's come back to reaching souls and preaching the gospel not so we can say we're open air preachers but so that people can hear the gospel and be born again it's time to start flipping all these tables and here's what I've learned if we don't turn our own tables Jesus guarantees he will and this comes back to how they got into the temple and if you'll go to verse 12 Mark 11, verse 12, this is before the temple. Now the next day when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry and seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves. He went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat from you, eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Now turn your page over to about verse 20. Now in the morning, it's the next day, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So on their way into the temple, I know you've heard this story. I'm going to preach for the lost people in the room. I'm going to preach for all the fakers in the room. Come on, you're either a shaker like, like Acts chapter 4, or you're a faker like the woman in Acts 16. Says all the right words, but it's filled with the devil. Okay, so I'll preach for the lost and the fakers in the room, okay? I mean, either you're a shaker or a faker. There's no in the middle. Okay? So I'll pre- I'm going to say it again. I'll preach for the lost people and the fakers. Jesus looks in the distance. He's hungry. He looks in the distance. He sees a fig tree. You just follow the story. It's easy. Kids understand this. He sees in the distance a fig tree. The fig tree, it's not time for figs. It's not the season. He knows it's not season. It's not that time. But he looks at the difference and he sees what says on a fig tree, it's seasons. It's in season. It's time. He sees leaves. When the leaf on a fig tree is it blossom, the fruit is connected. It's there. That's the symbol of there's fruit on the tree. So in the distance, he sees the fig tree with leaves. Seeing the leaves, he says there must be fruit. So he goes to the fig tree, and as he gets closer, he realizes it's missing something so important. There's no fruit. He looks at it, and he's like, there, there, fig tree. You're all right. There's grace enough for you. There, there, fig tree. I'm not trying to be condemning. I thought, I, well, I'm not trying to be too harsh. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. You're a good tree. You know, inside, you're a good tree. On the outside, I don't know. You're, you're good. There's good in every tree. What does he say? He looks and doesn't say anything but, 
Cursed be you, you tree that lied to me. On the outside there was leaves, but there was no fruit. He says, curse be you, let you never bear fruit again. And the next morning they come out of the temple. And not only is the, is the, the leaves, you know, shriveled, but the entire tree has rotted from the ground up. And it has been uprooted as if it had been sitting there for 20 years dead. The disciples are totally blown away. They're like, the tree, the tree. What's the symbolism of this around the temple? The truth is this. Many people sitting in this room today, you are like so beautiful on the outside. You are, you're like the Pharisees. You're like, you're, like, you're like shined up and beautiful on the outside. Jesus said they were very much like tombs. White and polished on the outside, but on the inside, they were full of dead man's bones. And this tree is a picture of someone that would say they know the Lord, but are as lost as they can be. There's people in this room. On the outside, you look so beautiful. You have such leaves. And someone has lied to you and told you that you can live this life from now into eternity, fooling everybody, including God. That as long as you look a certain way on the outside, you'll be fine. When we started this church, I still remember a young man who was, he had been on on meth, he had been on heroin for a while, and he was like 19. He comes to our church, he gets radically born again. Within a few weeks, the Lord speaks to him and says, go on on like a seven-day fast or something like that. His dad calls me on the phone, his dad is irate, and he's saying, what did you do to my son? And I say, what do you mean? He goes, well, he's like reading the Bible, and I think that's, that's fine. That's fine for you guys. That's fine. But he's like going to church every day, and I mean, there's nothing wrong with church. That's fine. But now he's like fasting, and, and he's like, he's praying all the time. And, and I said, what did you, did you like him better before? He goes, well, at least before, he, he, didn't, he didn't make me feel so bad and try judge me all the time. I said, so in other words, you liked your son to look fine on the outside, but be addicted to meth. Then to be right with God, laying his life down for what's right. And at the end of this conversation, this dad admitted to me, yes, I liked him better before. There are so many parents that raise their children to look right first and to do right second. And there are so many church pews and so many church seats and and there's so many people sitting in them Sunday after Sunday. They're liars, they're thieves, they're fornicators, they're adulterers, they're, they're murderers in their heart, they carry hatred for their fellow man, they will not forgive, they're backbiters, they're gossips, but on the outside they look beautiful. And this is what this scripture promises us. It promises us and, I, and, you know, I'm just going to say this. this. This is for every person in the room. Please don't worry about the person next to you. Don't worry about them. Worry about you. Right here. Look at yourself. Look at yourself. You don't, you don't, have, to, you don't have to encourage me to preach to someone else. Look at yourself. Look at yourself. Look at yourself. I'll look at myself. We have people that sit in church. They hate their fellow man. They're, they're, they're sleeping around. They're alcoholics. They're liars, 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 liars. But they're the most faithful church people you ever met. And this scripture guarantees that it's appointed unto man once to die and then face the judgment. And here's the thing that Jesus will demand. He will demand fruit. 
He will demand fruit. He will demand it. He will say, I don't care about what you, I mean, think about this. In eternity, the one thing we lose is our outer man. All our, all our outer man, all our safeties, all our protections, all that we are. There's no lawyer that stands before God and is a lawyer anymore. No preacher, he's not a preacher. Everything's stripped bare. And it's, but what did you do? But what did you do? But what did you do? But, but did you live in your sin? Did you love your sin? Did you cover your sin? Did you, did you hide your sin? Did you act like there was no sin? Or did you humble yourself because of your sin and repent and turn to the Savior? Did you do that? Were you born again? This last week, one of the things that just infuriates me, and infuriates me here too, that when I preach the gospel, I have a group of people here and everywhere I go. I mean, you don't want to be in this group. Let me tell you, you don't, you don't want to be in this group because I get so angry. Here's the group. I preach the gospel. I'm done preaching the gospel. And there's a group that comes in and want to talk to me. Hey, can I talk to you? It's not that they can't talk to me. It's that what they want to talk about. When I go other places, here's what they want to talk to me about. They want to give me a reason why they were convicted while I preach, but they're really right with God. You know, the whole time you're saying I was convicted because, you know, I feel like I'm a liar and I feel like I'm a thief and I feel like I would be wrong with God. But you know what? But I'm born again, but I'm born again because, and, I'm, and, I, and I, I love Jesus and, and, I, and I, he healed me one time. I was healed of cancer and, and God loves me and I love God. And, and that's, yeah, I just wanted you to know that. I just wanted you to hear that. I was convicted the whole time, but, I, I was, but that's just probably God just trying to tell me something. But, but it's cool, and I really am a Christian. I just want you to know that, that I, I was really convicted while you're preaching. But I want you to know I'm, re- I'm really a Christian. I really am. I really am. I promise. They're not willing to test themselves, to look at their souls. God, is there any wicked thing in me? Expose it. They just want to make sure they don't get caught by the preacher. Who cares about the preacher? Who cares? Who cares what I think? Who cares? Who in the world would care what I think? Do you know what happens here? Here's what happens here. I totally read your mail while I'm preaching. I preach your business that you and only your wife know about. I preach your business that your kid wants to amen, but you're holding him down. I preach your business so from the beginning to the end about your finances, about your lack of faith, about how you don't really preach the gospel for souls, but you preach it for yourself so you can pat it on the back. I preach your business up and down, and do what you do after the service. You come and tell me all your awesome, uh, you know, successes of the week. That's the same thing. You're trying to convince me that you're not those people I'm talking about. Hey, Pastor, I just wanted you to know that, like, this week was really awesome, and that God is really using me, and I'm really anointed, and I've reached a whole bunch of people, and, man, I tore it up, and I was really preaching, and I was really awesome, and I just did a really good job. Praise God. Bless the Lord. I was, yeah, I just wanted you to know that. I just wanted you to know that. I just need you to know that. I just, I just want you to know that you were preaching to that other guy, not me. I just need you to know that because I had a fantastic week in the Lord. I was fantastic. Did you see my leaves? Yes, I see your leaves. I see all your leaves. They're beautiful. They're wonderful. They will condemn you because my Bible says that our righteousness, our best attempts at pleasing God with our own abilities is as filthy rags. Pastor, I just wanted you to know that though. I just wanted you to know that everything you preached was about everybody but me. Do you know how I know people are born again when I preach the gospel? I can pound on that pulpit about hell, and they're like, thank you, Jesus. I can pound that law. You know, if you're a liar, then God has a place in the lake of fire for you. And they're like, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. This last week, I have, an old, I have a, a great aunt. She's my grandmother's sister. My grandmother just passed away. And, and like my grandmother, we've been wondering about her soul. You know, my grandmother got born again, was a church member her whole life since she was like 15. 
Served in every church. Her husband was a pastor. She, she did all these things, and she got born again about a month before she died. I said that to everybody at, their fu- at her funeral, and they were shocked. Oh, I can't believe you said that. Well, it's the truth. She herself sat across the table from me and told me how she was a fake for all these years, and she finally found Jesus. So we were, worried. We were also worried about her sister. And I just, I just didn't know. I don't really ever have a long conversation with her. And she's like 83, 84, something like that. I can't, her church was the one that had me in. And I've never really had a lot. We never get a chance to talk. And, and so after all these meetings, people in her, in her like, uh, apartment complex and all these people, whoever it was, they all started coming to the meetings. Her own landlord came to her and said, hey, can I, I'm going to that meeting at your church. How about I drive? So every night, more and more people that are coming with her. Till finally, like, she's got every, every night, I know that guy was there, I knew him, and I invited him. And so the last night she came, and, and, and we, I preached, I mean, every night we preached the gospel. Even when I preached healing, we preached the gospel. The next morning, we're getting ready to leave town, she comes over to my mother's house. And she's, like, just lit up. And she's just so excited. And she, I said, what's going on? She goes, I just went to the store. I met, the, I talked to this lady that came to the meeting, and, and, and I ended up being there for 30 minutes, and she kept saying, I'm so convicted, I'm so convicted, I'm so convicted. And my aunt wanted to say, it was so wonderful to see the Holy Spirit work on her. She goes, every night when you were preaching, I was just praying, God, give us souls. And suddenly I realized, man, she's soundly saved. Because no matter what I preached every night, she was like, on the edge of her seat, like, this is so good. Yes, Jesus, thank you, Lord. That she wasn't convicted because she's come out of condemnation. She's burned her leaves. You remember the story? I, I believe it was toward the end of chapter 19 of Acts. You remember, you remember the story of after, after the power of God fell on, you know, on the city, uh, I think it was Ephesus, there's one part where the people are so convicted that they bring out all their carnal materials. All their books of witchcraft. All their books of nonsense, you know. And, and they burn it in front of everybody. But why, why did they did that? They were burning their leaves. They were burning all their good things. They were burning anything that, would, that was keeping them from God. The conviction of the Holy Spirit was so on them, they were willing to be bare. I'm telling you, I promise you that day that there were good, upstanding citizens that started bringing things out, and people were shocked at what they brought out. Like, we already know that the junkie has some needles he needs to throw away. We, we already know that. But what happens when the church people start bringing out their stuff? Could we finally have breakthrough? When the church people start coming, I'm going to tell you what will bless my heart one of these days. Is when I find a, a person that's been in our church for 10 years and finally goes, you know what, Pastor? I've been stealing from this church for 10 years. I'm not a tither, and I say amen every time you talk about the offering. And I'm a liar, and I'm a thief. We'd have breakthrough that day. Today we have someone come in, you know what, Pastor? I've been talking about you, and I've been talking about you. And every time, we, every time the Lord's starting to move, I start talking about you, and I want to repent, and I'm going to stop talking about you. Oh, I mean, I'm telling you, let's, let's be honest. What about the day that some guy comes in and goes, you know what? All I ever want to do is, is succeed. I always want to be the center of attention, but I don't want to be the center of attention anymore. I want to humble myself in sackcloth and ashes, and I don't care who remembers me and who forgets me. I don't want to be the center of attention anymore. Let's see that stuff burned up. Let's see that stuff thrown before the fire and say, I got problems. I'd like to see the, the husband and wife, they're so perfect, saying, no, we're a mess. And we want to burn all that stuff between us. All the unforgiveness, all the hatred. I want to burn it all up. It's all our leaves, all the things that we call good. All of a sudden, it's all burned up. 
you know, I promise we're all going to die and we're going to be judged by that perfect judge named Jesus Christ. Acts 10 promises it. And he's, gonna, he's not going to say, if you don't mind, could you pass me the fruit? If you don't mind, if it doesn't offend you, if you'd feel comfortable in this moment called judgment, if you'd feel comfortable, could you just show me your fruit from a Christian life? Would you show me your born-again experience? Would you show me that your life was different than the rest of the people around you? Would you just, he's not, he's going to say, I demand it. I demand to see it. I demand to see it. A born-again life. He's going to demand to see the fruit of a born-again life. Born again. That's what he's going to look for. He's looking for the fruit of a born-again experience. Do you want the fruit? You ever, you ever looked at the nine fruits of the Spirit? But people always say, well, those are the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Well, yes and no. The text right there doesn't give us that answer. People give us that answer. The text doesn't give us that answer. But either way, what it's talking about is when a person is born of the Spirit, the fruit that comes out of them is by way of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit has taken that old man and he's been born again, born of the Spirit, and what starts coming out of him is long-suffering. What starts coming out of him is love and faith. This is what starts coming out of a man that has a born-again heart. That his life has been so radically changed that he doesn't look, sound, talk, or act like he used to. Not because he's, he's, you know, he's gone to AA, he's gone to NA, he's gone to whatever else ends in A, he's gone into every other program, he's joined the men's Bible study, the women's Bible study, anything he can get into. He's been to every meeting, he started praying harder, he knows the Ten Commandments, he's trying to keep them dear, all these, not any of those things. It's have you responded to God's command? Have you, have you, have I? Just, you know what, just think about that for a minute. Have I responded to the command of God to repent? Have I really repented? No, no, you go, well, what, of what sins? Of everything that you were. Have you, could you say, I repented of my old life? I, I'm talking about the good and the bad. All your abilities and all your failures. I've repented of all my goodness to be able to save me, and I've repented of all my wickedness to hold me. I've repented of it. Have you really repented? That's the first command. Number two, have you responded to the command? Have you really responded to putting faith in what Christ did on the cross? That means that I've turned away from everything I am. I've been left desolate. And my only hope is that if, if Christ did what he really did for me on the cross, that he went and he carried my sin, that he died in my place. So the wrath of God was on him and not me. Have I honestly put my faith? That means I don't trust ever again on anything else but him. Have you truly repented? Have you truly put your faith in Christ, in Christ alone? And then thirdly, I'll ask you this. Has he truly responded by giving you a new heart? Has he responded by him remaking you? These are honest, honest questions. Have you really repented? Have you really put faith in Christ? And has he really responded by remaking your life? That you have an old life that's dead, and you have a new life, a born-again life. Have you really, you know what, I'm telling you, uh, too many people are like, well, I asked Jesus in my heart when I was three. I've always been a Christian. I have blah, 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 all these things. No. Have you really repented? Have you really put your faith in Christ? And has he responded by really giving you a new, has the old gone as the new come? Has this really happened? 
as a pastor, you know, I struggle. I struggle with this a lot because there's so many people in our church that if I tell you, yes, you can do this or no, you can't, what comes out of you is not someone that looks like they've repented, like they've put their faith in Christ and like they've been remade by the Holy Spirit. What comes out is offense, anger, backbiting, or pride. It's, it's really hard when you're like daily working with the same people and, and you're going through the same motions, but you're like, oh, but don't ask so-and-so. They freak out. But I can say that to that person, but I can't say them because they go nuts. They get so offended. They, I don't know what they, I just feel so uncomfortable. It's like walking on eggshells with her or with him. Now, how can you possibly have repented, put your faith in Christ, and been born again if the body of Christ is scared to confront you? That tells me the Holy Spirit has not confronted you, and you or he has, and you haven't let him. Wouldn't you be just freaked out if you were, you were the one that no one can talk to because you're so unstable? Now, I'm going to tell you, that is not the testimony of someone that has really repented, someone that has really put their faith in Christ. And someone that has really been born again, that, there's no way that that testimony goes with, don't say it to that person because they can't handle it. What would happen if the church in, in America got saved? Every church I ever preach in, I always say this, and I, I have to tell them, I don't know if this is this place or not. I said, most churches I go to are completely run by non-Christians. Completely. Their board's not saved. Sometimes the pastor isn't saved. Usually you got a safe pastor that's desperate for God, but he's being run by a group of people that are carnal, are, are wicked, and have never been converted. It's just, it's a kind of, it's a normal staple. Especially, and don't take offense to this, this is not an attack on anybody, especially when I go to denominational churches. And it's not because the people there are more carnal than anywhere else. It's that in denominational churches, it's easy to get, have a place of uh, position. It's easier than in a, in a non-denominational Meaning that in the, in the spirit-filled whatever churches, there's just as many carnal people. But it's harder for those people to take control of the ministry. Where in a, in a denominational church, you just have to have enough people like you. And you can be the vice president of whatever, you know, like you can be the head guy. But what would happen if I take my eyes off all of those other churches and I forget that the Baptists exist, I forget the Pentecostals are there, and I forget the Charismatics are there, and for a moment, I think for this strange moment that this is the only church in America. What would you tell me as a pastor the true testimony of this church is? Would you say to me, oh, no, 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 we're so, we're so committed? Or would you say, no, honestly, we, we are not? Would you say, no, we're totally not like the rest? Or would you look at me and say, you know, when it comes down to it, we're exactly like the rest? We're just as selfish. We're just as proud. We're, we're, we're just as carnal. And then if I were to ask you where you stand with the Lord, would you have to tell me some story to convince me? Or would you be humbled by a message like I just gave? And would you say, yeah, that's right. I have nothing outside of Christ Jesus. There is no good inside of me outside of what the Holy Spirit has done. There's nothing I have to offer. My righteousness is worse than filthy rags. I have nothing, I am nothing, except for what Christ has done in me. That all my glory is in him, none is in me.